Okay, can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, you want to take it away? Yeah, sounds good. Here we go. All right, everybody, welcome to a new edition of the Quarkcast. This time, however, episode 16 is a Quarkcast cardcast, at least partly, because I'm Owen Newkirk. On the other end of the line is Sean Shapiro, and instead of our normal quarantine setup that we've done with some fancy production and some music and editing, well... We're back to the car today because I'm headed back with my family from Maine to Texas. So I'm literally on the road in the car. So it's kind of the Quarkast Carcast. Sean, I'm in your neck of the woods because we're in New Jersey right now. And you know this area much, much better than I do, even though I've driven through it many times. I didn't live here. Yep. it's. Uh, I lived in New Jersey for, I think you said before we hit five, you're in your Morristown. So kind of in the area near where I grew up and the uh, place that I lived until I was 14, uh, 13, 14 years old, I think, and a uh, place I still consider kind of my home state where I grew up, so very glad that you, you were able to stop there, only in there, I mean, oh. wherever you are. <laughs> we uh, we took the Tappan Zee Bridge today instead of oh, yeah. on the way up where we went through George Washington Bridge in New York City. I don't think 5 o'clock rush hour on a Friday is a good time any time of year, whether it's normal conditions, pandemic, you name it. I don't think that's the kind of time you want to be cutting through the middle of Manhattan Island. No, no, that's definitely not a time to be doing <laughs> that. There's, there's most times you really don't want to be cutting through there, um, especially I mean, especially now with where the world is. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows, indeed. So here we are. It's uh, Friday afternoon, and you've been at what I believe was your fourth training camp practice today. Uh, since the last time we did the show, the Stars have begun training camp 2.0, which is officially known as Phase 3 of the NHL's return to play reopening sequence. And you've seen some very interesting things in Frisco, starting with the fact that you've had to watch it without fans and socially distanced, but you have been able to be there, which we weren't necessarily sure was going to happen a few weeks ago. Yeah, we weren't really sure what the rules were going to be and how much access and what um, we always kind of knew, obviously, that we weren't going to have access to players and we weren't allowed to be. We weren't going to be allowed to be in locker rooms, and, and we knew this was going to be kind of a the Zoom, the Zoom training camp. But um, it is it is a nice benefit to get the uh, it is a nice benefit to be able to say, hey, we actually can watch this, we can see live hockey with our own eyes, and I'll say it's a bit weird. It's um, one of the kind of one of the oddest things about it, it's not as much wearing the mask isn't weird and stuff like that because um, I've gotten used to when I leave the house wearing a mask and right. seeing masks around. Like I talked to when I talked to Blake Como on the phone earlier this week, I was asking him just kind of if, how if this if this feels weird seeing staff with masks and stuff like that. And he said, no, not really because he's grown normal to it's to see masks around is normal for him now. It's not as much the mask. It's more so kind of the, hey, you're watching from this one vantage point that's been assigned to you, and how there's no one there. There's no fans there. That that's the thing that I think is a bit weird. Just because obviously there's not always um, there's not always a huge crowd at a practice, but training camp things like that. There's typically a pretty good amount of people there that have shown up to watch. There's people even if there's a couple people. To not have any of that around is kind of odd. And then 
because of that, there's just such the and it's not really easy to socialize when you're six feet apart and wearing masks. So it's just this, it's just like this dead silence. Like so, you'll we'll get to the rink at nine. We have between nine fifteen and nine forty five to check in. You go through a yes no questionnaire of uh, about COVID symptoms. And they take your temperature, and from like nine forty five to ten or however early you get there, it's just like an eerie silence until Jeffries gets on the ice and starts warming up the goalies and the puck, and then it just starts to get this. You hear all the sounds, so in a way, it's really weird and eerie, but it's also kind of cool too because, like, one of one of the things I love about, I love the sounds of hockey, and so you right. hear even you hear even more of that, and we get to hear more of what the coaches and players are saying on the ice too. So that's kind of a cool part of it, but it is weird, and obviously it's it's a bummer where we are in the world because obviously there is. In, in, in normal times, well, there would never be an NHL training camp in July in normal times, but in normal times, they, you know the fans would enjoy being able to watch training camps. Oh, no doubt. I mean, in normal times, my family and I wouldn't be driving 4,000 miles round trip for a visit with my family up in Maine. We probably would have gotten on a plane and done it in four or five hours. So that's one side of it. But you know what? We're trying to make the best of it here. And uh, I'll tell you one thing, going from – Highs in the 70s to highs in the 100s is going to be a bit of a shock again. We'll have to get used to that real quickly. But uh, speaking of getting into things really quickly, it, it seems as though Rick Bonus and his staff used their time off, if you want to call it that, during the pause very uh, much efficiently, and they knew exactly what they wanted to try as far as forward groupings, the mm-hmm. line combinations, and the defensive pairings right from the first day. They weren't messing around. They knew exactly what they wanted to do, and they've done it in a couple different stages with today being different than the first three days of practice. Yeah, and it was one of those things where um, everything has kind of, for the coach's perspective, has pretty much kind of gone according to plan, and they spent so much time planning for this training camp. Um, One of the things Bonus has talked about, and he mentioned, is when the Stars look back at this past season, this past regular season, the one seven one start, they look back at the training camp from last September and they, the coaches talk about how it was a really poor training camp. The training camp that they went through in September didn't go didn't go very well and they feel a lot of that had contributed to the one seven one start. And obviously there's no for a one seven one start in this return to play format. You'll be done, you'll be out. Um, <laughs> and, and so they they've clearly come in with a plan, they've clearly come in with a these are the things we're going to attack. These are the things we're going to try. And there's a couple of things that have stood out to me right away. One of the big things for the, that the Stars have talked about is they want to improve the offense. They want to improve the puck possession. And I don't. And I wrote this today. And I wrote this line today. We can't. Don't expect the Stars to become the Lindy Ruff Stars. It, that, that's an unfair expectation. No, not at all. That's an unfair expectation. And. They scored 2.61 goals per game this regular season. They expect them to come out and be scoring 3.5 goals per game or something like that. That's a ridiculous ask. But if they can get a little bit more offensive juice squeezed out, the way they're going to do it is by improving their puck possession and by spending more and by getting more out of their defense and then jumping into the play as a force, basically a force forward joining the rush, which is and that is kind of what we saw so much from the Lindy Ruff era, where it was so go, 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 fourth man in all the time. Fourth man in is being more encouraged to go in. They want to see more consistency with that. And we've seen a lot of that through the first four days of the camp. Now, and we've seen we've seen the defenseman. And, and that's kind of 
one of the reasons the pairings are set up the way they are, actually. I know a lot of people have asked me, hey, why is Stephen Jones playing with uh, Andre Sekera, and why is Jamie Alexiak playing with Miro Heskinich? One of the reasons, one of the things they're experimenting with, is they want to see if Stephen Jones can be more of an offensive force and jump into the play more consistency, where when he plays with Miro Heskinich and he defers, but that's that's not that's not a bad thing. We could see Miro and John together in the playoff starts, but they want to see if we put John with with, with Andre Sekera, will he take that kind of lead as the primary puck carrier, take that opportunity, and then we have three guys right down the right side with Klingberg, Haskin, and John, who are all the primary puck carrier and mover, as opposed to having, while well, Jamie Alexiak and Andre Sekera both can move the puck aren't really, it's, it's not as efficient as moving the puck of a pair as the, as the other two. So that's kind of what they're trying to do. And then the other thing that's just kind of finding some consistency is we see pretty much the same lines for all four days. Uh, the only alteration is then you've seen first three days when they needed some guys to double shift to go stay with two groups, so somebody else would rotate in. But it's been the same lines for all four days, and they're really working on building that chemistry, and... I think that's a really positive thing to look at because um, I remember back in September training camp, but I remember lines being way more varied. And I understand yes. you play around and you're trying to get things going in the September training camp, and that's understandable, especially because you have way more preseason games. But I, I do really like this approach of, you know what, let's let Gurionov and Sagan play together as much as possible because we're not going to get three preseason games to try it. It makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, one of the things that I think is kind of interesting about this whole setup is similar to how the you talked about the bad start back at the beginning of the season. You could make the correlation, and maybe we're trying to connect the dots in hindsight, but there were some things that happened in camp that were not to the Stars' favor. One was, of course, the announcement on the first day that Stephen John would not be participating and he would not be given, you know, we would have any updates for quite some time, and we all thought at that point this is a really bad sign. He might not ever play again. Now, Mm -hmm. we'll talk maybe more in a minute about the fact that since our last show, Stephen Johns has officially been named one of the three finalists for the Masterton, which is wonderful that he's back and he's earned that recognition. But then, Sean, Corey Perry gets hurt. And so now instead of getting the new one of the new free agent signings up and going with his team and feeling good right away, he breaks a foot and is out for, you know, six to eight weeks and isn't able to get the chemistry going that he thought he was starting to during their informal workouts mm-hmm. with the actual main camp and get up to speed as normal. And so he missed some time. And so knock on wood here, because I don't want to jinx anybody, but as you said, they want to avoid that because they don't have any leeway for a slow start. But they have come into camp with guys feeling healthy, feeling fresh. And knock on wood, let's hope that that continues. But that gives them the opportunity to then play with these groups where where there's some consistency because that wasn't the case in the fall. Yeah, and the other the other thing that's important too about this whole camp that's a big success that it allowed the stars to do this, and it's even more impressive when you consider where we are in Texas with how many positive cases of COVID-19 there have. Yes. The stars have not had any positive cases of COVID-19. The stars are not allowed to say that. The league has taken that away from them. Teams and teams and uh, individual teams are have actually could be punished and, and, and severely punished if, if they give any information away on that. But having, but we know that uh, there have been no positive cases. And this is and, and 
and it's been further proven the fact that no one has missed time on ice. The only person who the only person who hasn't taken part in every day so far was Point, and that was just because he didn't arrive into Dallas until Monday and had there was just kind of they had to wait on test results. Right. Um, and now, and not just COVID tests, but like when someone comes to training camp, you know how there's the whole there's the physical tests and all that stuff too. So. And of course, you have to be cautious about things to make sure that somebody doesn't get a regular injury. And I know yep. that Bishop didn't do the full team stuff on the first day, and they have a plan for him. But uh, you know, Sean, just to digress a little bit with that point, the rule that the NHL and the Players Association adopted of saying that they're unfit to perform or uh, unable mm-hmm. to participate does I understand why they're doing it, uh, but as I'm sure you and many other members of the media have foreseen. And you've seen it with some of the other teams already, most notably probably the Boston Bruins with David Pasternak and Andre Kasha, is that wild rampant speculation, particularly on social media, is abound because there's no way for this information to get out from the team or the league right now. And so unless a player were to come out and personally announce something, whether it's an injury or a positive test, it just leads to the fan base going crazy. Yeah, it does. I mean, and I give. I think there's there's some players and some some players have noticed this and decided to take into their own hands. For example, we saw a actually a Dallas native, Caleb Jones. He has tested positive, but he had Oilers. He came out and said it himself that he tested positive. Um, in Boston, there was a story this afternoon where uh, David Pasternak's agent spoke to reporters and said, "Hey, Pasternak has hasn't tested positive, but he's been around other people. He he was around somebody who right. has has COVID and." It's one of those where I actually give I, either Pasternak or his agent, whoever you want to give credit, I give them credit for taking advantage, for, for, for being forthcoming on that, because otherwise everything just runs wild and, and everything like that. And and I, I understand protecting players' privacy, and I understand kind of where we're going on, on, on not individually putting out individual names of who has COVID and who doesn't. Um, but I do think this isn't the best. Um, there needs to be. There, there's a line of getting getting more transparency um, that would be that would I think would certainly benefit the NHL as they're trying to come back to avoid a lot of the public scrutiny. You don't need to say, hey, here's the list of who has it, but it's okay. I think it's not bad to say this, these teams have it, or right. or it's been this or that, just because I think having that transparency is important. Um, especially in, especially where you're going to have teams playing against each other and, and things like that. Like I think it's it's hard to I don't want to overplay the media's role here, but a lot of this and uh, holding the NHL honest is kind of a slight watchdog role from the media, and it's hard to have that watchdog role if you if everything is kept under lock and key from the top, where there's no way to know whether the NHL is handling this well or not. They could be handling it great. They could be handling it poorly, but we don't know whether they are or not. And with that's how they're giving the information. We can't really judge it. Um, like it should be, we should be able to allow. We should be able to give the Dallas Stars credit for having no, uh, and I have given them credit for having no right. positive cases. We should be allowed to celebrate that. The league should be able to celebrate that. We should be able to say, hey, look, these teams have done it the right way. I'm not saying we should rip on teams that do it poorly or have multiple cases, but we should be able to celebrate when, hey, look, this is being done correctly, players have been smart, all of that. And 
the team is not even allowed to say anything like that. Well, the, the positive of that, and I, I, I echo your sentiments on a lot, and it is setting up some very curious uh, speculation, and I hopefully the NHL would seem like they have things going in the right way as far as what their official team setups are, as far as trying to behave this, that maybe, and again, I don't want, maybe I should have even uh, speculated into saying that it may have more to do with personal player responsibility than team. Um, but I'm encouraged by what's going on with the, the stars because that seems to suggest a maturity and responsibility taken by both the players and the team, that, especially in, in Texas and in North Texas, where things have been spiking over the last you know, two to four weeks. So that's really good for them. Let's turn back, Sean, to the, the roster side of it because I think the core groups are, are very interesting. We've seen some adjustments made by the coaching staff starting from day one of camp, and I know that they had it split for a few days, and now today was more of the starting group and the taxi squad. But the big standouts up front, of course, Dennis Gurionov being paired with Rope Hintz and Tyler Sagan. Jamie Benn and Corey Perry teaming up on the wings for Jason Dickinson, keeping the Como Fox and Cogliano line together. And then the really interesting one, uh, I mean, those three obviously have a lot of talking points, but the Radulov Pavelski Yanmark is a sort of a, a not really tried before trio that I think really could lead to, if everyone stays healthy, a real balanced four line attack. Yeah, and I mean, all those, obviously, the Gurionov can't say you want his bread new. Yanmark, the Rogers, the Felsky line with Yanmark and Rajulov, it's not, they've got about 88 minutes played together this year, so they have played together, but it's, it was a newer development before the shutdown, so it's not one where we got to kind of see it, um, we, we didn't get to kind of see it when the Stars were having successes for, for and, and when they did start, you remember Rajulov missed some time at the end when he was sick, so it's one that was really fresh in our minds. Um, but I, I like, I mean, it's, I don't have an issue with it, I think it's really, it's a really good, if it works, I think it's a really good approach. I think you have a line with with Hintz and Gariano and Sagan that brings a ton of speed, obviously, and and, and obviously Sagan's no slouch when it comes to speed either. So you have a line that can bring a ton of speed. You have a line in you have a line with uh, Pavelski and Radulov and Yanmark. And I wrote this earlier this week about how that 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 may be the best. The best, duo, the best duo of wingers to really help Pavelski find that success because Joe Pavelski and I'm sure I don't know if you read my my story on them the other day but I'm sure if you did you would yes, have loved did. the number you would have loved the number nine reference where Pavelski is the of course Pavelski is for a good soccer reference yeah. Pavelski is that poacher that number that that soccer number nine we like to refer to who just needs to get to the right spots get to the crease and. If you have guys like he's playing with Radulov and Yanmark, guys that protect the puck and hold the puck well, it gives him more time to get loose for that, and maybe he can be more of that goal scorer that he was kind of proud here to be paid to to be. You have that line. You obviously we know what the Fox line is, um, and then the uh, and then we also we had already seen a little bit of Perry and Ben's chemistry in the past, and I think correct. I think those two, I think those two are two players that could benefit greatly from this return to play. Just two guys who. Fully rested, fully healthy. Um, maybe two guys who need to kind of dial it back a little bit to their glory days. Who maybe, maybe can. And obviously, um, Jason Dickinson is a spark. Jason Dickinson isn't a. He's not Ryan Getzlaff playing between them, but he's a. He's a. He's a smart center that is defensively responsible. Who, 
who is who can be a good third piece. I, I like what they've done with it. I think it's it's a good fit. Um, I think it's one of those where, to me, one of the keys is how well how well do you kind of uh, how well do you balance everything? How do you get how do you diminish for everyone? And it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But I, I like the combinations a lot. Um, and uh, well, Sean, one of the things that you mentioned in your story earlier, I think it was uh, late last week, that you haven't brought up in our our, our discussion is the fact that playing Hintz and Gurionov with Sagan could also unlock those few extra minutes they've been trying to get those two youngsters to help get them up to a, a time on ice that they maybe deserved. Not that they didn't deserve it before, but maybe that can help be a little bit more offensive, even if you're rolling four lines, that maybe those two playing with Sagan might just urge that along a little bit. Yeah, because Sagan is the star's most used forward in all situations. Obviously, some of that is power play and any distant penalty killing too. But um, him, them playing with him is a sign that, and if that line stays together for sure, that is a sign that that line will be trusted in these situations they trust Sagan with at all times. And I think that is a good sign if if, if it sticks. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think it's the other thing too that Sagan, the other thing that I think Jurianov and Hintz can take from Sagan is Rick Bonas has talked about this is having them take some longer shifts too. I mean, because obviously Higgs and Gariana take such quick shifts and that's not a bad thing. It's because they're going so hard. But there are times um, where you can take longer shifts if you're using your energy the right way. They don't need to be um, that line. Higgs and Gariana are kind of mad dashers. With Sagan, they become a little bit more of a half-court offense, for lack of a better word. And you know what? If you're holding possession and, and you're working the puck around and you don't have to just gun, gun up and down the ice and you're having shifts where you're keeping the other team hemmed in, a 50, 45, 48, 50-second shift like that, that's not a bad thing if you're, if, you're, if you're running the other team ragged in the offensive zone. So maybe you could see more of that with Sagan on that line. Let's uh, merge into a little bit, or merge is not the right word. Let's merge into a little bit of uh, special teams talk because that's something that seemed to get a lot of attention early on. In fact, they were at least it announced that there was going to be a scrimmage in the past three days that didn't happen. Instead, it became more of a special teams contest. And yep. as you would expect, Sean, it's easier to get your penalty killers up and going quicker because it's a little bit more simplistic style. You have to defend hard. It's about work ethic and structure. It's not so much about timing and uh, connectivity between your forwards or your skill players. So you would understand that it takes a little longer for the power of play to get going. But it seems like that based on the results from what you said and some of the other guys that were watching it, guys and gals, Taylor, you know, of course, covering as well, so defending Big D, but I want to – to sort of reiterate that it seems like the power play could use as much time as they can get before they head to Edmonton. No, for sure. I mean, one of the, the biggest notes of it all is you go, uh, I think it was my days of the week are right here. I think it was on Wednesday. <laughs> they did a 13-minute kind of, there ended up being 13 minutes. They had a stock clock on, so it was 13 minutes of full play time, 13 minutes power play with without any goals. Um, and... It's uh, that, that's obviously a bit concerning. Now, on the other hand, is you got to give credit to the penalty killers and the goaltending. So that's it's kind of weird when you're judging two parts of your team against each other. 
Um, but the the thing, one of the things that they are, were working on and kind of trying to get moving, and and while it's a bit more understandable to have a little bit delayed success and to take your work some time, is they're trying to find those right fits and right spots. Um, one of the things that we see with the Stars Power Play, when I, in my, my personal view, the Stars Power Play is a successful one when you have moving pieces, um, or when you have guys with primary spots, but they're able to move from those spots. Like, I don't want the full-blown freewheeling and moving because I think I think taking Joe Pavelski away from the, the middle, the bumper spot, or the net front is kind of foolish in my point, so but so he sometimes ends up on the half wall on the point, so if you need that a little bit too freewheeling, I think there's kind of a balance right. in between there of we want to be able to have movement, we want to get guys' feet moving, but we also need to be able to operate better in that in that in that kind of set spot. So there's they're gonna to continue to work on that a ton. They're gonna to continue to work with that. Um I did think the the first unit while they didn't score. But I really like the way they started to work and create on breakouts. One of the and on the breakouts in the zone entry. One of the things that the final result wasn't there in that 13-minute scrimmage, but they were working on staying wide and they were working on attacking as a group off of the drop pass. And yes, people, they were working on the drop pass. <laughs> You're never yeah. going to get rid of that, no matter how much you despise it. And and just kind of, I I liked how they were getting in and getting set up. And that Which actually, be, Sean, is a big deal, isn't it? It is, it is. And that's the success that, that you build on going forward. Obviously, you want more goals. But if you can, getting set up in the zone with possession, that's a big part of the battle just of what a power play can be anyway. Because even if you don't score in a power play, one of the things I always remember um, – one of the conversations I remember having with uh, Jason Spezza two or three years ago was how he would look at a successful power play. He doesn't it scored, obviously, but he would also look at one where if you only had to regroup once, that's a successful power play because you burned the, the other team's legs for two minutes. Sure. Um, and so getting set and getting into the zone is actually moving in the right direction on that so far. Um, now, you obviously need to put more pucks than that, but this is still just training camp, and it's day four of training camp. So I, we, we well, will, we'll see what happens. <laughs> so the last thing we need to touch on, I think, in this sort of first week of camp, and I apologize for our listeners as I can't remember what day it is. Yes, I know it's Friday now as I think about it, but I said end of last week, what I meant was the beginning of this week as camp began Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, they were off on Thursday. So, Sean, we're all, I think, a little susceptible to losing track of the calendar during this. But um, but more specifically is goaltending. Now, I don't know how you stand on this, but for me, I am not worried about Ben Bishop or Anton Udobin getting themselves ready to go because they're veteran guys. They've done this before. Not like this, but they have gotten into a camp and got the mm-hmm. things they need, the work they need done to feel ready to go. And I'll be more interested to hear what Ben Bishop says about how he feels after exhibition game or even a couple of the round robin games when he says, yep, feel good, I'm ready. Because if he says that, uh, we've seen him say it before and know he's he's good to go. So I'm not really concerned too much about that. And they have two very good goaltenders. It was one of the biggest strengths of this team and continues to be with this tandem. What I'm kind of interested in, in especially with your team, because you did a bunch of goaltending talk earlier the week, uh, this week with your article about it, was 
talking about how Landon Bow, Jake Ottinger, and Colt Hoyt come into play and work into this group of five goalies that will be either four or three going to the, the hub city in Edmonton. We're not sure yet. Yeah, and it's one of those things where, obviously, the first couple of days of camp are so much of a drills and teaching, and it's hard to judge individual players. I know a lot of people have asked, so how's this guy look or how does that guy look? A lot of times the answer for the first two, three days of camp is he's a pro hockey player running drills. He looks fine. Like, But goaltending is the one where you kind of get a better sense of judging because there's not really there's no soft there's no soft launch for goaltending. Um and with 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 those three younger guys with Colton Colton Point is really here more as an insurance policy. He struggled all year in the ECHL. He only played the one AHL game. Um he's really here as an insurance policy uh, insurance policy. So the real competition is between Jake Ottinger and Landon Bow for the number three job. And that could be number number the difference between number three and number four could mean I'm going to, I'm, you know, I'm on the travel roster or not, or it could mean I'm just the next man up and we're both in a, in a bubble. Either way, it's this battle that's been going on between the two of them for the entire season. And it's kind of heading into this, heading into this camp, Buddhist Ottinger probably had the edge. Um, not, and, and partially because of his draft pedigree, but also you look at the Texas Stars season and you look kind of what was happening down the stretch and, the stars, the Texas stars, and and, head co- and the head coach down there, Neil Graham, started turning to Ottinger more and more and more. It was, uh, was was turning more into the number one. Now there's obviously you know there's a lot of back-to-backs in the AHL, so they're both playing. But Ottinger was getting if there was if there was three if there was three games in the league, Ottinger was getting two of them. And so you would have expected Ottinger to kind of get that nod as number three. Um, now so far in camp, and this is just to my eyes, and I'm not really so far in camp right now. To me, Landon Bow has been the Landon Bow has been the better goalie so far in camp out of the two of them. He's been uh, he's been more he's been smoother. He's been he's making really he's making really good stops uh, on the special teams drills in particular. He's been he has been noticeably good. Ottinger hasn't been that hasn't been noticeably bad, but he hasn't been noticeably good either. And so there's kind of that interesting thing to watch. Um, I it, it is. It's kind of interesting when you talk about these these goalies because Ottinger is the goalie who you look at his future and you look at what it could be and we have these high 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 expectations. But you don't look at Landon Bow with those type of expectations. I think Landon Bow is with he's 24 now. You kind of look at his age wise and why goalies do have a little bit more of a window. He's more of kind of that. Maybe he's an NHL backup someday. Maybe he's that, that, that AHL veteran. Either way, but at this moment right now, he seems like he's the better fit. But this, once again, after four days of camp. The other interesting thing, um, just talking to scouts and talking to other people in college hockey, that just, and this, this drives into another fascinating discussion just about goaltending to me, is Jake Ottinger has always been a slow starter. Um, you look at his career numbers, you look at kind of his, how he started years. In years, even his years, he was really good at at Boston uh, at University. He would start slow at the beginning of the year. It would take him a couple games to get going. Um, in the AHL, it took him. He started slow this year, and it's one of those things. Where originally, I chalked it up to being, oh, well, it's his first year pro. But then you talk to some people, and say, like, well, no, actually, that's kind of normal. Um, The guy in a short tournament to be a slow starter, for lack of a better word, is that so? Is that something? That's another thing that comes to mind. Um, 
there's all these, these these fascinating things to watch with that battle and how it plays out. Um, the slow starting thing is one of the things that for the star the stars are loved. They don't have they don't have, there are two NHL goalies, Anton Hudobin and Ben Bishop. They aren't particularly slow starters. Now there are NHL goalies like if you were if you're in Edmonton, uh, if you look at Mike Smith, Mike Smith's career save percentage is like 25 points lower in October than any other month of school. Which is crazy, but that yeah. could be a problem. Yep, and then even even a guy like uh, I've, I've talked to. Uh, They've talked to some other goalie coaches, some other people who cover goaltending about how Brady Holtby has been a slow starter in the past, and what happens in what happens if in with with Washington if if he he has a slow start to a playoff, how do how do you handle that? And so Dallas is in a, in a lucky spot where is in a good spot where Ben Bishop has never really been a slow starter, and on top of that they have the greatest insurance policy possible in Anton open as the one B. So. Um, Goaltending to me, this, this whole tournament is fascinating when it comes to goaltending because while the starters have kind of, hey, we know who's going to play game one of the playoffs, and we're just getting our second guy up and running. There's so many other circumstances going on, especially in this round robin where there's position battles. I mean, the two of the th- two of the stars, three games in the round robin, and even their exhibition game actually. Rene Ustaros. I mean, right. Dallas Blitz, that's who Dallas gets in the exhibition. In uh, Colorado, it could be Pablo Franquez or, Gru- or Grubauer. We don't know who's going to be the starter. Um, Vegas has Robin Leonard and Mark Andre Fleury where they're. So, it's, I know you just let me nerd out on goaltending for like five minutes, but that's. I'm okay with that. I know it's but your it's, favorite subject, so it's okay. But, it's, it, but it's, it's, it's really an interesting thing to come, how it's going to all come together on this because um, there's going to be some. It wouldn't surprise me if there's some goalie who we don't think much of right now, or we think it was a lower tier goaltender that comes out on fire and has a big impact in this tournament. Um, yeah, and that's what happened. You know, look like a yeah. rookie like Cam Ward back in 2006, mm-hmm. gets hot first year NHL goalie, and he ends up winning the Conn Smythe and the uh, Stanley Cup. It can happen. You know, that yeah. he's not the only one to have done that, um, and we'll see how that plays out throughout the league. You know, Sean, one of the things that if we hit a quick side note is that I mentioned it earlier, the, the finals for the Masters were announced officially, and uh, obviously we knew Stephen Johns was a pretty good chance of being a finalist. He is, along with Bobby Ryan yeah. from the Ottawa Senators and Oscar Lindbaum from, from, the, uh, from the Philadelphia Flyers. And look, no disrespect to either of the other two, because and, and you said this in your article with, both Haley and Charlie, the two writers, B writers for the respective teams that are covering the respective teams for the athletic, is that this isn't a debate about who deserves it more because it, it somehow diminishes what these players have all overcome already. It's just that you and I have both been really immersed in the Stephen John story for several years now, so how could we not think that he is a considering recipient of this honor? Yeah, yeah, and it's one of those where- like I obviously I voted I voted Stephen Johns first on my ballot and I I think he's definitely deserving of this award now. If Bobby Ryan wins this award and he gets it when it gets announced during the conference finals, whatever that date is, like I wouldn't be upset. You can't say you you can't disparage the Bobby Ryan story. And, it's a great and, story. It's a great story. So it it, it is it is it's definitely the Masterton is one of those awards where someone made a good point where the Masterton is the one where. Maybe it would be even worthwhile of 
this is the type of award where we don't need to have one winner. We need to have one Norris winner. We need to have it's best defense. It's 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 best it's it's league MVP. That's state that. We can debate the merits of that. That's fine. But to me this is the award where it wouldn't be you wouldn't be diminishing the award at all if say if you say you gave it to two people or something like that. Right. it's gonna be hard because no matter where you, you put that designation it might very much turn into, well, if you say two, then the third one, it feels left out and he deserves it. Or you do three and there's a fourth. Some years it might be obvious that there's one player who really stands out. Other years mm-hmm. it might be more difficult to decide like it is this year. And, look, I, I guess the last thing I want to say is that it's just a shame, and you and I both know this, that that Stephen John's uh, opening up to you in that wonderfully candid article didn't happen before the ballots were cast because that could be a deciding factor in this, just that more writers around the Professional Hockey Writers Association may not have known to the depths of this particular story that they do now, but those were already voted on before that came out. Not your yeah. fault, it just, that's just the time. So that's... that's- And I think we've just touched on this before, where it's one of those where this wasn't ever a story that would be rushed to uh, right or been rushed to tell it the right way. So there was no way it, it would come out before the ballots were cast. And the other the other thing too, and it's just uh, by the um, way, Sean, uh, the Quarkast Carcast just crossed state lines into Pennsylvania. Oh, there we go. I know. So flying along. Just wanted to keep the viewers yeah. or the listeners updated. Of course, yeah. they're not listening live. Yes. Uh, the, the, the other thing too, just um, when you look at, and it's the other thing that and it's not. And I'm not saying this would happen, and, and hopefully the starters don't have anyone else that you have to not, that would be worthy of the nomination for next year because it's um, because you don't really want to be nominated for the Masterton. That just means that you went for something that really poor. Like, like getting nominated for the Masterton is typically means you've had something really dramatically alter your life and career. As, as another writer told me, as I was talking to, I talked to him. This person actually did vote for John's first, but they told me they said, "Hey, um, as just and this is just a pro hockey writers association business thing, we could still nominate Stephen Johns again next year for the Masterton if he if if he continues to inspire people and he comes back and he, and he continues to play well next year and and he continues to talk about his story. You could always nominate him again. And I'm not saying we will or we would. I'm just saying it might." It's another thought process that's out there, and you could say the same thing about about uh, Lindblom in, in Philadelphia, where if he comes back and plays a full NHL season next year, how could he not be the nominee? How could he not be a nominee again? It would be uh, tough to argue, and I, I think with Oscar in Philadelphia, if he's able to come back and play next season, uh, that could even uh, heighten his candidacy because there's still another chapter potentially for his story that has yet to come to fruition or complete itself. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, that's what we can talk about that a long, long time. And I, I think we have to keep this relatively short before one of the kids' movies chimes in or the dog starts to go to lose it. They've been in the car too long or it's time for dinner either way. Mm-hmm. Um, but just looking ahead this week, because I won't be back until Sunday. I won't be there at the practice on Sunday. It's scheduled day off on Monday, and then the team's back on the ice in Frisco on Tuesday. So for the next few days, Sean, and going into that, what do you see as one of the big things? What, to me, I sort of 
think that they, I mean, there are no surprises here. There's no preseason games interspersed in this camp. So to me, I would think that, that Rick Bonus and his staff has this entire training camp basically plotted out. And they will vary it a little bit, I'm sure, based on how things go. But I would think that their plans are to get these guys ready and touch all the teaching and then some of the battle stuff they did today, to get them ready for that exhibition game against Nashville once they get into the bubble, and then the three preseason games. And it's more – obviously, they're going to want to come out firing so that they get themselves up to the highest intensity level possible. However, it's still about getting ready for game one of the first round, not the round robin, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. And that, that's the other thing, too, where uh, – I know there's – I had someone ask me the other day of – like, so the Stars are – probably going to scrimmage Sunday. Right now there's a scrimmage on the schedule for Sunday. Someone asked me, would the Stars put back their scrimmage and or push back their scrimmage in a team like Toronto? Toronto's doing the best of five intra-camp uh, scrimmage, I think, between Team Matthews and Team Anderson to get up going and everything. And someone asked me why. And the thing we need to remember on this is the Toronto Maple Leafs are, are, going, are going straight off the bat into their seasons on the line against the Columbus Blue Jackets. So, there's, there's, so they have to they have to get they have to turn out some more of that. Hey, it's do or die already. Yeah. Where Dallas has the luxury of being a top four seed of being able to they know they have a seven game series coming up that they have to plan for. They know that it's going to happen. They don't know who it's against and they don't know what seed they'll be, but they know that's the most important thing. And so. Well, obviously, both Rick Bonus and Jamila both been adamant to me. They want to go steal that one seed. They want to set a tone that they're that they're that they're the top seed in the West. If they, it is not about the goal is not to win. The major goal is not to win the round robin. The major goal is to win the Stanley Cup. And correct. If if they win the round robin, that's great. But if not, they still have game one of the playoffs no matter what. And that that's one of the things you talk all year. Right. Heard all year. We heard all here Rick Bonus talk about we want that X next to their name. The Stars have that X next to their name. I mean, the big thing, Sean, to me is, aside from player health uh, getting through all those games uh, without unscathed, without injuries, the worst thing that can happen to the Stars on the ice as far as a result standpoint is they don't play well and they're the number four seed. And that's not bad. That's fine. So there's not the pressure on them as far as, like, if we don't win these round-robin games, we're out, like the qualifying rounds, like you mentioned. But at the same time, I don't think that you want to lackadaisically sort of waltz your way through that because it doesn't set yourself up well to hit the ground running for game one. And that's the same thing we talked about at the beginning of our quadcast carcast today, which was setting the tone in this camp to get a good start, just like they didn't do that in the, in the fall. And so... Again, well, the results aren't there. I think that that's a, a very important thing to treat it as importantly as can. But we may see the difference in personnel. You and I talked about that before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the one. Yeah, I guess the one thing I'll leave it on this is like, and I, I know there's some people who are reacting. I saw there's like, oh, well, you saw we we saw the gosh, kind of saw the split in camp today between the roster and the taxi squad, and. Um, while those guys are on the taxi squad, and if everyone's healthy, that's probably the lineup. You have to remember too that this is a 
remember how deep they've gone into the how deep, how how far the stars have have to go gone onto the bench and before. I mean, I think people may forget Brett Ritchie played Game Seven against St. Louis last year. You're going to need people from the taxi squad, so there's there's still and you may need some rotation in that round robin. That to me is the most fascinating thing of what happened yeah. in the third game of the round robin because you could have you could have Game Three of the round robin be a game where we have our seating completely locked up and we're here and we know what it's going to be. And we may, it may be at the time, you know what, that may be the game to give, put in Ty Delandria or something like that. So there's, there's, I think you're going to see, I was speaking to a, I was speaking to someone the other day about this who said, I think you're going to see more guys from taxi squads in this playoff format than any other playoff format before because of how compressed the schedule is. Uh, I just think that's a reality. So, you know what's interesting as we wrap this up, and I, I agree with that, is we have to wrap this up because we're getting closer to our uh, food stop destination here along the Pennsylvania Turnpike, is the fact, John, that the next time you and I do the show next week, we'll have actually seen each other in person. Now, we've been doing our recordings uh, with a certain mechanism and also FaceTiming so we can see we haven't been face-to-face in months. No, I know. I, I, I've not seen you face to face in months. I've seen your face over uh, over FaceTime. That's it. So, right. <laughs> the, uh, so we'll, we won't record in person because we'll probably end up doing the same thing we do, sitting at our houses and doing it mm-hmm. afterwards. But we'll at least get to see each other at practice. So I'm kind of looking forward to that, even if it's in this weird, bizarre world. Yeah, you'll you'll have to be you'll be like 24 feet away from me, I think, based on the seating chart. So. Well, um, I mean, are you allowed to bring in your, your notebook and your computer? You are. Okay, so at least I can write down notes and maybe we can text back and forth on the laptop. And, yeah. And uh, I can try to distract you from doing your job, which I'm, I'd like to think I'm pretty good at. <laughs> well, I will uh, – I, I think one thing I will stop distracting from you and your family from now is, is experiencing the great state of Pennsylvania. So, uh, <laughs> well, I appreciate we, that. I hope – I hope that the school reception has been okay. There are a couple of you're recording, so that should be all right. Hopefully I didn't break up too much because I have absolutely no idea as I do this whether or not you can hear me or not. Yeah, I, I think it's funny. that one of the You actually slightly almost cut out there while you were talking about cutting out, which is kind of funny. So with that, <laughs> how ironic. With, with that we will uh, – you know, I, I think that's how we'll close it out. We will have another one next week. We'll have actual production value. We'll have music. We'll have – We'll have, we'll have all the song and dance, and uh, I hope you all appreciate the fact that we uh, we did this uh, mobily and mobily and then while moving for Owen. Okay, good. Yeah. That's right.